I want to end this hour with a story that's, well, how shall I say, a whale of a tale. Toothed whales think orca, bottlenose whales, and dolphins. Toothed whales use echolocation to zero in on prey deep underwater. And we're talking about a mile deep or more. Until now, scientists couldn't quite figure out how the whales were making those clicking sounds in the deep ocean where there's little air. Turns out the key to underwater echolocation is vocal fry. Yeah, that creaky voice that some people love to hate, only this time in a whale. Here's what it sounds like. Here to tell us more about this discovery, published this week in the journal Science, is my guest. Dr. Cohen Elemans, professor of bioacoustics and animal behavior at the University of Southern Denmark, based in Odense, Denmark. He's joining us today from Washington. Dr. Elemans, welcome back to Science Friday. Thank you so much for having me again. It's great. Can you begin by telling us exactly what vocal fry is for people who don't know? Yeah, so vocal fry is one of the few human registers. We have at least three, maybe four, where the vocal folds move qualitatively different in each register. And with vocal fry, the movements are such that the vocal folds are basically closed for more than 60 to 80% of the time. So they're closed most of the time, and then they open very briefly with a little, and then they have a little snap. So a very mm. little bit of air passes through. So why exactly does vocal fry help tooth whales with echolocation when they are so deep underwater? What we've been able to show now is that sound production in tooth whales actually occurs in their nose. And by combining a bunch of different experiments, we've been able to show that two pairs of phonic lips basically make these echolocation clicks. So these echolocation clicks are made in the vocal fry register. And one of the cool things of this is that when whales dive, of course, their volume of air decreases very, very rapidly. And below 100 meters, they only have 10% left. Below a kilometer, they only have 1% left. So they need to be very air efficient. And this vocal fry registers allows them to be very efficient with their air. What are they actually doing in their, in their bodies, in their heads, in, in the melon? When the whales dive, they basically shuttle all the air that's in their lungs into their nose. And there it goes into a cavity that's in the skull that cannot be compressed. So the air stays there safely. And then the larynx, which we use to produce sound, lost this function in tooth whales, and it's become a very efficient plug. So it fits very nicely into this bony nose structure, basically. And that allows them to separate the two compartments, basically. So you have an air compartment in the nose and an air compartment that's very rapidly declining in the lungs. So when they dive, the lungs completely collapse and all the air moves in their nose. Now, this allows them to separate the control of these volumes. And uh, that's been key, I think. So one of the main things they can do is they can now pressurize the air in their nose to extremely high pressures without damaging lung tissue. So when we play, for example, trumpet really loud and we try to do it a few times louder, we would actually damage our lungs. And these animals uncoupled these, these driving pressures, basically, in their nose and in their lungs. And then the other cool thing they can do is then they can use this very high driving pressures to make the loudest sounds in the animal kingdom, basically. Hmm. Now, you categorize tooth whale vocalizations into three different registers similar to humans. Vocal fry, which we just talked about. 
Then you have the chest register, normal speaking tone, and the falsetto, even higher than the others. Why did you decide to categorize them in this way? It's actually the other way around. When we realized that this was analogous to normal vocal fold oscillation, we realized that this huge diversity of sounds that these animals make actually fit very nicely in these three categories that are the registers. And then what we did is we tried to, through different lines of evidence, try to show that this is also the case. And one line is the sound. So you see indeed that these animals make distinct sounds that have different waveforms, but also different frequency ranges, just like registers. Then also the anatomy supports it. And, and lastly, we looked at the at the opening and closing of these vocal folds, first in vitro, but then later also using tags, we tried to reconstruct the vocal fold kinematics of animals diving down to two kilometers deep based on the sounds that we could record on these tags. Hmm. Okay, let's listen to what these different registers sound like. Let me play first the orca, the killer whale. Dr. Elements, tell us what we were hearing. Yeah, so first we were hearing a few echolocation clicks. And after that, an another sound these animals make. And this is definitely in a higher frequency range, right? And last was what's called a whistle. And, and these whistles go even up to 80 kilohertz in killer whales. It's really spectacular. They have an enormous frequency range they can produce. I am absolutely sure there's going to be lots of different sounds that don't necessarily fit in these categories. But this provides a first physiological basis to start classifying these sounds. Okay, now let's listen to the bottlenose dolphin. It also starts with echolocation and then the other two registers. Wow, that really doesn't sound like the vocal fry I'm familiar with in people. No, so during echolocation, the frequencies are very low. Yeah, it's almost like a hearing test, you know, <laughs> when they try to see how low you can hear it. I'm Ira Flato, and this is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. This study, I understand, is the culmination of 10 years of research, and in that time you had to develop some new techniques to study echolocation. How did you study the toothed whales? Yeah, so I think what's really fun in this study is that we use a lot of different approaches. So first we developed techniques to film trained animals, so inside, in their, in their nose, with very small endoscopes and fast cameras. That allowed us to show that the source was definitely in the nose, but it also posed a conundrum because we saw there was clear motion going on with each echolocation click, but it happened after the click. So that was totally weird. And what we did then is that we developed a setup that we've also used for other species in the lab where we can blow air through an isolated head. It's very difficult to study these animals. It took us several years to collect sufficiently fresh animals, basically, that died either in in beachings or in, in fishermen's nets to be able to show really phonic lips make the sound. We also tagged animals where you put a, an acoustic tag on the animal and we needed to be very precise to have the tag on the nose. And that was also sieving through many, many years of tagged animals. Hmm. Now, what did we know and what didn't we know about how tooth whales make vocalizations before this study? So what we definitely knew is that the sounds were produced somewhere in the nose. There was a lot of different lines of evidence, but it's very challenging to film them. And so people have tried to film them, but these were at insufficiently high frame rates to actually demonstrate these were the sound sources. But now we've established 
that it's actually that sound source. And also the theory we established for human sound production is also applicable here in a completely new organ that's evolved only in these animals. Hmm. This study focused on tooth whales, as we've been talking about. What about baleen whales, who also make sounds but don't use echolocation? What do we know about their anatomy? In baleen whales, we have a, it's a similar problem that we, we know, all the things we know about their sound production are acoustic recordings, and they're very hard to interpret because if you put a hydrophone on the water, you can record animals within several kilometers. So it's very hard to pinpoint which animal makes what sound. And again, it's very hard to get fresh tissue there, but we know very little about the functional aspects of, of those baleen whales as well. Do they have the same origins, both kinds of whales? Both groups of whales evolved from a common ancestor about 40, 45 million years ago. And that was an animal that much resembled a hippo. And then at some point, echolocation evolved in these animals and the tooth whales come out of that group. And the other group became the baleen whales. Huh. So echolocation seems to be the reason why they branched out. Given just how critical vocal fry is to how tooth whales evolved and hunt for prey, do you think this might change some vocal fry haters to better appreciate its usefulness? I really hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so. It was very funny because I've been very much focused on this over the last weeks, of course, and months. If you listen on airports here or so, like, so many people use vocal fry at the start of sentences, at the end of sentences. And it's not just young women or, or old women or men or everybody does it. <laughs> it's very common. Let's make it official. Let's call today Science Vocal Friday. Okay. All vocal right. Friday. I like that one. <laughs> All right. Dr. Elements, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Thanks so much. Take care. Dr. Cohen Elemans, Professor of Bioacoustics and Animal Behavior at the University of Southern Denmark, based in Odense, Denmark. If you want to listen to those tooth whale vocal fry recordings again or check out some graphics explaining whale vocal anatomy, sure, go to our website, sciencefriday.com slash whale sounds.